Uh, welcome to Marginalia Pod. We're very excited to kick off this podcast and um, yeah, and to learn and grow and read together, most importantly. Uh, my name is Jen V. I am a South African Australian, soon to be a Kiwi, hopefully. I live in Wellington, New Zealand. Um, because why keep things simple in life, really? Live in as many places as you can. Um, I am all about letting people live their truth, and I'm a big fan of all kinds of introspection and thinking way too much about things. Um, I love a personality quiz, like especially a BuzzFeed quiz that tells me what kind of cheese I am or what kind of wine I am. I'm all about that life. I live for stories in whatever form they come in, whether it's books or film, TV, video games, songs, even just like a really good anecdote. Um, one of my first ever kindergarten report cards that I got back actually said that I would gather kids around me and just tell them stories while we waited for our mums to pick us up. So that's like one of that. my, yeah, it's like one of my earliest memories of myself is this idea that I would just tell stories to people. And I guess I've always wanted to write a novel, but yeah, maybe one day I'll actually start actively working towards that instead of just thinking about book ideas. Um, yeah, I read any genre and just like to crack on and talk about books and talk about the things that I love. So, yeah, that's me. Awesome. Yay, Jen V. I'm so glad we're friends. <laughs> okay, I shall introduce myself. Um, I'm Jen D. I'm an American. I've lived in Sydney for the last 15 years. Um, I'm a permanent resident, but not a citizen, so I should probably get on that. Um, I have a husband and two children, um, a daughter and a son. And they are great. Everyone in my family is like I mean I don't want to brag but like they're literally the best people in the universe so they're all they are amazing <laughs> yeah, they're pretty they're pretty great I, I mean I can only take credit really for two of them but they're the best they're the best kids in the world um I have ADHD so I get really excited about stuff and I am so excited that you and I get to just go deep and geek out about these things together especially books that we love like I am really looking forward to that um like you, I love anything with a good narrative, anything that can grab me and hold me that tells a story or has really strong emotions. So music, movies, TV shows, and of course books. So when I was a little girl, I remember kicking my mom's chair as we were driving down the road and saying, when am I going to learn to read? So I have always been a reader, even before I was a reader. Um, I also write a lot, but I'm not published. That's in the someday pile, you know, someday down the road. So And you'll all be blessed to read Jen's writing, which is amazing. Oh yeah, you've read some. I keep forgetting. They really hit it emotionally. Hits you right in the feels every time. All right. Uh, should we talk about what we want to do with Marginalia Pod? We are going to discuss a book or a duology or a trilogy, you know, whatever really takes our fancy, and we'll discuss it as a complete text. Yeah, so we're basically... Um doing this as a loving homage to Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. So thank you very much to Vanessa and Casper and Ariana for their amazing body of work over the last five plus years. When we were talking about how much we love the podcast, we both realized that we wanted to do something similar. And I think you mentioned at the time wanting to reread the Scorpio races, which is one of my favorite books. And so we went, wow, we should do that. Let's yeah. do that. Let's make our own podcast. Let's have conversations that are just as deep. So um, some of the things we want to do are treat the books that we read as a sacred text, like 
they do in Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. So that means we're not going to be, we won't accept or discuss or bring up any fanon or headcanons um, and no post-textual author input. I think that's really important, um, especially because it can really muddy the waters when we're trying to look at what a text is when we're, when we're treating it as its own thing and taking out of it. It's important for us to note that we have just this one source. So I think keeping it sacred is going to help us to be better and more critical, but in a good way. Yeah, absolutely. I think that is a very important point and it's actually a very interesting way to look at it. Um, I studied writing at university and we'd often talk about, you know, the author's intent and whether it was up to the author to decide how their books were interpreted because some authors get really upset if they think their books are being misinterpreted or read wrong, you know? And I was always of the opinion that once you put it out into the world, it's no longer yours. Like it doesn't really belong to you anymore as an author. It's now the readers and we get to really take the text, take it on its face value and go, what does this mean to us? And I think that's really powerful. And I just love that we're spending this time together because, you know, like we've been friends for a long time now, but we don't really spend that much time together because we live in different cities. And to make this time, to have this ritual and to set this you know, routine where we do this and do something that we both really enjoy together. It's just so awesome. It's going to be great. And like, I agree, we've always had like the best friendship, but we're two ships always passing. Like (laughs) you're going to one city or I've just had a baby and can't travel. (laughs) Yeah. And I think it's like, when I think about our friendship, we've always like sort of run into each other. It's like, it was fate, you know, we've had friends in common or we worked close together. We worked at the same place and it was just like, Oh my gosh, for like months without knowing. I know. <laughs> and it's just, yeah, it's meant to be is what I'm saying. And you know, Sydney is a big city. It's not like Wellington when you see the same 10 people all the time. <laughs> like it's a, it's a proper city. Yeah. So yeah. And you were, you and I were living on uh, the opposite ends of it too. Oh, so yeah definitely miraculous we were meant to be friends this is just us finally saying okay fate okay the universe we hear you we honor this (laughs) i think one of the important things about making this podcast is doing it regularly and committing to a text and a time frame um so for us it will be weekly for this text and we'll play it by ear and see how we go in future we want to connect with each other like we've been saying, and we also want to talk to other people who are interested in this too. So feel free to reach out at us. Um, we're at hello at marginaliapod.com. You can just email us with your thoughts. Let us know and maybe we'll find a way to do an episode with feedback and input at some point because I think that would be really fun too. Yeah, it's always good to hear how different, there's so many different interpretations of things out there. So yeah. So what do you want to get out of this? Like personally, what, what, what do you want to get out of it? I think what I'm really looking to get out of it is this idea of connection and empathy, but also being able to take that into my daily life. So not just spending the time on the text that I really love, but also through that practice, being able to have more patience and kindness in my mm-hmm. interactions with my life and also just appreciate the amazing things that I have because often you just get so lost in like just going through the motions that you don't stop and go actually this is really cool and really awesome so I hope that this will will give me that yeah that's beautiful I love what that. about you I've been feeling the need to do something with my brain for a while and I'm really looking forward to actually having someone who is 
similar enough to me, but comes from a different set of experiences and academic background to just chew over some of these really interesting things with. I think it's really easy to get lost in my own brain. I actually really value having the conversation and I can't wait to have these conversations specifically with you, especially about this book and especially about ways that we each read into it and what we draw from. And I think that's going to be really fantastic to just have that collaboration and enjoy the time together, really. Yeah, definitely. And I think we both do come from really different backgrounds and that's going to be really exciting to see how we bring that to the text. And yeah, just Hmm. being able to have those open and honest conversations is going to be hopefully help us grow as people. Love a bit of growth. Yeah, me too. Let's talk about how we're planning to make meaning from our chosen text. We've chosen, as you can probably tell by the name of our podcast, uh, the practice of marginalia to make meaning. So we will closely read a specific section of text, underline and annotate what calls to us, and then summarize that content with each other. So we'll talk about the bits that called out to us and what that means, and then hopefully... Yeah, we'll be able to see where we land with that and where we're similar and where we're different. Um, But we're also going to read each section through two predetermined themes so that we can find examples in the text to back that up. And yeah, there will be no right or wrong answer. We'll just be able to talk and disagree even. And that'll be exciting too. Yeah, there's because it's all interpretation. We just have to rely on the text for it. But that doesn't mean that we're right or wrong. There's no such thing. We're in the grey spaces, I think. Get to live in the grey spaces here, which I like. Yeah, there's not enough room for that in life sometimes. So we've talked about the fact that we're reading the Scorpio races. Um, I think I'll read the blurb just so that we are all on the same page starting out. Some race to win, others race to survive. It happens at the start of every November, the Scorpio races. Riders attempt to keep hold of their water horses long enough to make it to the finish line. Some riders live, others die. At age 19, Sean Kendrick is the returning champion. He is a young man of few words, and if he has any fears, he keeps them buried deep where no one else can see them. Puck Connolly is different. She never meant to ride in the Scorpio races, but fate hasn't given her much of a choice, so she enters the competition, the first girl ever to do so. She is in no way prepared for what is going to happen. So, um, Jen, will you tell me what you think the book is about or what you remember of it? I really want to get your take on it. Well, so I should preface and say that I've only read this book the one time and I haven't read it in a very long time, which is one of the reasons why I really wanted to return to it because I've actually read one of Maggie Stiefvater's other books recently and it just reminded me how obsessed I am with this writing style and how, you know, it's kind of ethereal and it just like is very vivid and it transports you to this magical place that is just of this world but not. And it's like kind of everything that I wish reality was like in a way. There's something really comforting about it while still also challenging you. For the Scorpio races in particular, I think this book is about loss and how often through losing things that you can't imagine losing, you gain things that you never even thought was possible. And it's about challenging yourself and learning strength and vulnerability and learning to trust both yourself and others. Um, And yeah, and it's about myth and tradition and love and how family can break your heart like no one else can sometimes. And it's also about how Dove is the sweetest horse in the world. So yeah. She's amazing. She is the best horse. I know nothing about horses except that she is clearly the best one. Yeah, fair enough. (laughs) (laughs) The thing I think about when I think about this book is it's one of my comfort food books. I feel like it's about learning to look outside yourself, but also learning to love where you are in a way or learning to grow while loving where you are, maybe. 
there's just so much going on in the book so many different characters it's like a really good snapshot of what it's like to be on the island of Thisbe and it just gives you this really unique perspective into these lives of people who you might never meet in real life but you really want to know them also I'm obsessed with George Holly's waistcoats and <laughs> I think Puffin the cat is one of the best characters in the book absolutely she's amazing I love her actually I love almost everyone in the book even the even the person you're supposed to hate I've come around to a little bit because I have a little bit more empathy for that character but yeah that's what we call depth right and great writing that you can empathize with every character yeah you see why they are the way they are and that's really that's really true in Maggie Stiefvater's writing every character you understand their motivation all right so we went ahead and read the prologue just because we wanted to keep this more of an intro but also get right into it our themes were legacy and magic for the intro which Nice meaty ones to get started on. I know. And it's nice because it really sets up, I feel like it sets up the whole book. Yeah. And you know what? It ties in really nicely with our final sections themes as well. It comes like really full circle, I was thinking, as I was writing little notes today. I'm like, oh, we're so clever. We are. (laughs) And we're really pretty. It's true. That's true. Um, But before we crack on with that, we wanted to start our podcast every week with a bit of positivity and to like really celebrate the special moments in our our lives. So we thought we'd start by listing what sparked joy for us this week. And we're going to talk about our best food, our best song and our best moment because we love food and music as we should. Jen, why don't you kick us off? Okay, so hmm, my best song is a song. I have to look it up. I'm so sorry will allow it <laughs> yes so my best song this week is live another life by Sunlocks, and i heard it on the radio and i just like i was in a hurry but wherever i was going i completely forgot that i was in a hurry because i was just transfixed by the song it was that good it just sucked me right in and of course i put it on repeat and now i've been listening to it for like a solid week and i keep thinking of it as gabe's song so when we get a little further along in the book and we're talking about gabe some more I think it'll be really interesting to to dive into why I connect that. But like, I just really, it's a beautiful song. So Live Another Life by Sunlux. Um, my best meal for the week. Yesterday, my husband and I went out for lunch and he chose an amazing burger and an amazing box of chips came with it. And I wasn't very hungry, so I didn't get a burger. But the chips, oh my goodness, Jen, they were so good. Potato is the king of the food. It is the best vegetable. It is the best vegetable. Um, And I think the best moment I had probably, um, my kids and I played The Floor is Lava this morning and I had to traverse my entire house without boiling up in the lava. And if I stepped off of a a throw cushion, I was immediately boiled up and the kids were distraught. So I had to play along. It's not optional, but it was a lot of fun too. So I didn't mind. My best song was actually a really old song and it's been one of my faves and it's Blood Buzz Ohio by The National. It's been really rainy and weird weather in Wellington as it often is in spring and yeah I find that album just really hits that spot for me and really enjoyed getting back in love with that song really. Um, My best food was a Cinnabon that I had on my way to work on Friday mornings. Sometimes I'll treat myself on a Friday and get a Cinnabon from this amazing cafe that does like cream cheese icing and there's a lot of icing and I heat it up and it just like ends up with a Cinnabon in this pool of icing which is really extra so good it is amazing and um yeah I'm gonna say my best moment is definitely recording this with you I've been really looking forward to it all week you know reading 
the prologue. It just reminded me of how amazing this book is. And I made so many notes and I'm just so excited to have a chance to talk to someone about it and yes. talk to you more than anything. I know. I know. I feel like it's nice that it's nice to ha- be able to talk to you about this stuff. And also we both love this so much that we know we're going to be excited when the other person goes, "Ooh, I thought of this. And we go, what? Really? Oh, that's amazing. Like, that is going to be just I'm looking forward to it. And I'm looking forward to the moments where you like inevitably mention something that I didn't even think of. And I'll be like, oh my God, you're a genius. And on that topic. All right, you should do the recap. So um, the prologue is quite short. It takes place nine years before the rest of the novel. Um, We meet Sean Kendrick, who is 10 years old. He's accompanying his father down to the beach for the Scorpio races. His father has done this many years, but this time he's very nervous and afraid. And he actually ends up dying on the beach. Um, Sean had asked the Red Kapalushka not to eat his father before at the race. And it doesn't. And then Sean declares that he will not make the same mistake as his father, which was to be afraid. And so it's a really short little section, but it's incredibly powerful for what's to come. So we are reading this one through the theme of legacy and magic. And I thought those were such good and chewy and amazing themes. Um, I actually consulted my girlfriend, the Oxford English Dictionary, (laughs) and I looked up the definitions of magic and legacy because I wanted to be super prepared. Oh, cool. Um, And I think I'll start with legacy because that one, I guess it's a little more definable. Like really, when we think about legacy, I think about legacy being something that's handed down or a tradition maybe or like a bequeathment, but it's also used in a way of like, oh, this is a, a legacy item like we don't use it anymore but it still exists or like legacy software you know or legacy you know it's it's often used to denote something that's important but is no longer in use and also in the u.s you can be legacy if your parents went to a certain university and you apply their your legacy that's quite odd as a concept but never mind it, it feels very much not like the u.s is build yourself up from your bootstraps but it's totally a thing interesting yeah i didn't even think of that interpretation i sort of had the the others in my mind but yeah Hmm. so did you see legacy in any parts of the text specifically yeah there were a couple of moments actually so i started off thinking of legacy in terms of inheritance of reputation so you know this idea that your legacy is what you're known for or a reputation that you leave behind Um, and i think that just comes from some of my past work experience so i used to work for new zealand rugby and looked after a lot of the all blacks and there's this big thing with the New Zealand national rugby team where it's about the legacy. It's about the black jersey. And it's this idea that you always leave the black jersey better than when you found it. And that's your legacy. So it's just this ongoing thing. Yeah, it's really like a really cool kind of culture. And that sort of jumped out to me when, you know, there's this bit in the text where the official calls out and says, ah, Kendrick. And Sean notes that, you know, it's both my father's name and mine. Mm. And it just brings up this idea of following in someone's footsteps and continuing the family name and protecting the family legacy. I am. Um, I caught that bit, too. I loved that. That that is my that is my name and my father's name. I love that so much. I mean, I'm I'm named after my my surname is my father's surname. And I kept it when I married because I liked my name. Um, not because it was my dad's, but because it, it had been my name for 25 years at that point. And I thought, well, I'm not changing it now. The idea of having a name as a legacy, I think, yeah, I think it's really interesting. Yeah, it's kind of like family names, right? So I have the same name as my grandmother and she had the same name as her grandmother. And it kind of goes in, you know, my mother has her other grandmother's name. And so it's this kind of, oh wow, we're all in the family, all kind of have the same 
names. I don't think we ever find out Sean's father's first name, do we? No, it's never mentioned, is it? He's just my father or Kendrick. Yeah, Kendrick. And that's an interesting one that I think we'll come back to later is this idea of just going by your last name, you know, just being Kendrick or Connolly. I think there's also like, there's something passive about the idea of legacy as well, because it's something that's almost, it's already happened. So it's something that you just, you know, is bestowed upon you. It's something you just get. Um, And then that way, I I guess I see legacy as a a tradition. So I think there's that bit where Sean talks about, you know, every year I've watched him and every year he has tied it with a steady hand. So it's something that has happened in the past. I also think the legacy of the race itself always happening on the 1st of November and the fact that it always happens on the beach and that there are all these rules tied to the races, which we find out much later, but they all tie in really well to the idea of this this race is part of the legacy of Bisbee. Yeah, absolutely. And it's this idea of tradition and ritual that is the making of a legacy. You need those to like turn into this big thing. Yeah, it's not if you just do it once and it never happens again. Is it really a legacy or is it just an event? Mm. I think one thing I see a lot is how that legacy, like we, we'll see it as it affects Sean later. He definitely is affected by it. But at the end, doesn't he kind of push back against his father's death? He says, I'm not going to make the same mistake he does. Yeah, and I thought of that as well as like the idea of a legacy being something that's left behind. And so that line, the strongest line, is actually the strongest line of the whole thing. is you know, his father's death and his father's fear has almost given him a different legacy, which shapes his entire future. You know, and often legacy is kind of goes hand in hand with death and it's this idea that someone has died or something has died and it passes on and people are, I guess it's the memento mori thing. It, like it reminds you not to be afraid of death and yeah. death is what dis- helps us decide what kind of life we want to live and what kind of world we want to live in. And I, Sean's dad's death gives him that. It gives him this catalyst to build his life around. Yeah, I think it's interesting that he ends up riding core. And that's his father's horse. He he catches Cora again, which we learn about later in the book. But the fact that he catches it again and refuses to be afraid is actually a fantastic response to a legacy where he could be um, traumatized or scared or unwilling to engage with the races or the, the Kapalishka. You know, a natural response would have been fear and would have been like, I'm never going back to that beach and I never I never want anything to do with these horses. But he just goes, no, that's not me. That's not what we're doing. And I wonder if it's because, and this segues beautifully, is Sean actually a little bit magic? So I absolutely loved that we chose magic for this first chapter because I saw magic everywhere. I think part of that is because for me personally, I always think there's incredibly a powerful sense of like magic in nature. Mm. So, you know, this beach, the sea, the horses, it all just oozes magic to me. Yeah, yes. And I think the ritual imparts some of that magic and also maybe reinforces it. Later in the book, someone says, oh, the horses come to Thisbe because we love them. And I think about that a lot. Like, well, they're out there in the ocean. They could go anywhere, these murder horses. They really could just rock up and start eating sheep from anywhere. But they choose Thisbe and they're only really allowed on Thisbe. But I love the idea that Thisbe itself is magical. And I see that when he's talking to the horse. And he's doing all of those, you know, the counterclockwise circle. And Mm -hmm. he talks about using flowers and bells and iron to kind of keep 
the horses in check. That's that's a reference to the horses being fae or fairies. Um, yeah, I, I made a note next to that being like magic spell because that's what, essentially what he's doing. He's doing a spell and being like, you know, yeah, going through this ritual and then saying, don't eat my father. And it works. And it that does. is magic in its own. Something that really stood out to me just reading in the first two paragraphs was the description of the sea and of the, the cliffs. So, you know, there's this description of... Um, the black water and the chalk cliffs, which really reminded me of like yin and yang, good and bad, life and death. And then there's this mention of the sea being all the colors of the night. So dark blue and black and brown. Mm. And they just feel like really magical colors to me. So, you know, if you think of your stereotypical depiction of like a witch or a wizard, they often have those dark robes and cloaks and witches are always in black. I think about blue being representative of water in the sea, but also often associated with wisdom and healing. And then brown being the land and strength and stability. And then black often being associated with protection. You know, I think the sea offers all these things to Sean Kendrick. And, you know, he talks about how he lives and breathes the beach and how he's so, so alive in that moment. I think there's real magic there. The the sea and the horses, to me, that's his lifeblood. That's what he gets his vitality from. And he... He maybe doesn't know it yet, and yes, it poses a danger to him, but it also gives him wisdom and healing and stability and strength, and he respects the danger, um, you know, and he definitely, it comes through in his view of the horses where he's like, don't, um, do not turn your back, which as a kid, when I would go on holidays to the ocean, that's the one thing my mum would always say to me, you know, play in the water, but never ever turn your back on the sea, and that's something that's always struck with me. So when I read that, I was like, you know, he is of the sea, and the sea is of him, and that's why he has this relationship with with coral well the horses are inherently they're sea creatures right like that they come from the sea they return to the sea they can live on land but they need meat like they can't just eat Mm. hay they're terrifying yeah very terrifying (laughs) kind of found a bit of magic in i think this is ian that that says oh sean kendrick but when Mm -hmm. he when sean looks at his saddle and it says our dead drink the sea that felt like a, like a counter curse as well, or like a protection spell, or like maybe an acknowledgement of even of legacy, if we want to go back to that, like saying there are these people who've come before us and we are following in their footsteps and treading on the same path, but they're not forgotten. They're gone, but they're not mm. forgotten. It's almost like a talisman in a way, you know, he wears it as his, yeah, it's definitely, I underlined it as well and been like, magic, exclamation mark. <laughs> I also thought there was magic in his father being given a red cloth. It felt like an omen to me and I couldn't really tease it out. But, you know, the stallion also being red and red being a color of anger and and danger traditionally, but also of passion and courage and love. And I think that comes full circle with Kor when he catches him again later on. Yeah. And then there's the line, you know, there's nothing is as red as the sea that day. So it just felt like something to me. There's a lot of color in this chapter. Yeah. She spends a lot of time talking about the sea. Um, We hear about how the horses themselves are all the colors of the pebbles on the beach. And then the red of his his father's colors. And then his father himself being a smear of scarlet and black. Yeah, what a visceral image. I, I can't imagine. Like later when we meet him and we see how together he is, I'm just like, how how is he not completely damaged by what happened to him like he must have some superb internal fortitude to be able Mm. to exist on his own on that island from childhood 
Or maybe it's the magic of the sea protecting him. True. I think I, I wondered about the iron and like people having iron in their blood. I wonder if he's just, I don't know, able to kind of vibe with the horses a little better because he understands them in a way or maybe his chemistry, like his own body chemistry is more like naturally predisposed to understanding and connecting with these animals. That's a really cool idea. So this idea that you know his dna or his his biology enables him to to have this connection different kind of legacy yeah maybe because his dad's obviously done this for a long time and he definitely like rejects his father's fear i felt like he took that a little personally like i'm not going to be afraid but later we find out that his mother left for the mainland like she's disappeared so we know that he wasn't orphaned in the same way that puck was orphaned so i wonder if he's also kind of deciding to live on thisby and be part of thisby if that's a conscious decision to embrace that legacy and i wonder if it's made possible because he is able to connect with those horses and he's able to access the magic that he needs in order to connect with them and maybe yeah that's interesting because this I felt like there was a bit of a distance between him and his dad. Like, I don't know if there's just, you know, the stress of the day and of this of this race and the fear, but there's this moment where he, you know, talks about something his dad did and he's like, that's not how I would have done it. And then there's a moment where he says goodbye to his dad and he's like, I want to tell my father how to mine this, the stallion. And then he does it and he's like, we nod to each other like strangers, the goodbye and practice and uncomfortable. And there was just a bit of, there's a bit of reluctance and a bit of distance there. But I also felt like maybe it was because they are just so in each other's pockets that they don't really know how to say goodbye. The first time I read it, I thought, gosh, these are two people who don't know each other very well. And then now that I've had kids, like there's an intimacy of having children there in your face all of the time. When you, when you have kids around you, you just don't have privacy. You don't have distance from them. That's a really interesting interpretation that, yeah, you know, I don't have children, so I didn't even think of that. It feels like another omen with that reading on Mm. top of it, this idea that the goodbye is unpracticed and uncomfortable. You know, it's like they felt compelled to say goodbye, almost like they knew that something bad was going to happen, like that this wasn't going to end the way they thought it was. But they don't know how to say goodbye because they don't ever say goodbye. No, and they don't know how to express the sense, you know, the sense that something is wrong, but they don't know what it is. Yeah. I think we find out that Sean gets a little better at talking as he gets older. (laughs) (laughs) It's definitely an ongoing process, isn't it? Yeah. 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 So we're going to talk about our marginalia. Um, I'm on page one and I underlined the very first sentence because I know that that comes up later. So I wanted to flag that I knew it was going to repeat. It is the first day of November. And so today someone will die. Very dramatic. I just circled the next line, all the colors, because I was already noticing all the colors. And I'm like, ooh. Mm. So I went ahead and circled that. And also in the next sentence down, the black water and the chalk cliffs. And I also like underlined safe. Because it is an italics and it felt like, what is safety? You know, what does yeah. that even mean? I mean, really, everything is dangerous all of the time. We just don't mm. know it. I guess that's really a feeling that we take for granted. But Sean Kendrick knows not to. Mm, definitely. I underlined a pale road because I was thinking about magic and I was thinking about how magic is often indicative of a transitional state. Mm. Um, One of the things I really love the use of magic for is as a verb. Um, So I love saying, oh, I'm going to magic something up for dinner or, (laughs) oh, she just magicked that up. Like, I love that as a verb. The beach as a pale road. I thought that's a transitional space. A road is a from and to. So 
it might be the pale road between the Blackwater and the Chalk Cliffs, but it's also the pale road between Sean Kendrick having a father and not. Yeah, really interesting. And it's also, you know, the journey he's about to go on. I underlined, I live and breathe the beach because this phrase really jumped out at me and it sort of cemented this idea that I had of the sea being Sean's lifeblood, being his reason for being almost. Yeah, and he's like, you know, I have forgotten what it's like to be warm, what a full night's sleep feels like and what my name sounds like spoken instead of shouted across yards of sand. I just... I underlined that too. (laughs) Just really captures how all-encompassing this ritual is for Thisbe, right? Like everything just stops and becomes this race. Yeah, it really does. It's And it's weeks, like it's not just one day. It's weeks of the island working together or working around the race. So the other thing I underlined on this page is I am so, so alive again, because I thought this was just, that's the moment, you know, he's just like, he's scared and this is, this is a big moment, but he's actually like, no, I live for this. You know, when you're getting into a new kind of exercise and you do it and you're so sore that every time you move, you just feel it. It's like that, isn't it? You just feel like you are so in your body in a way that you're not when you're just noodling along doing whatever. And I feel like maybe because he's so sore and so exhausted, his senses are like just really heightened. He's so, Mm. so alive because everything is happening so much. Yeah, and maybe that's why we get all these details, like all the colors and all these really minuscule things, because he's hyper aware in this this moment. I also underlined, but there are more interesting ways to die than on this beach. It doesn't feel, because of all these things about him being living and breathing the beach and being so alive, I'm like, it's not his destiny to die on this beach, you know? Like it just had had that ring to me. I also like how sardonic everyone in the town is. They all seem to be very similarly sarcastic about things like, oh, there's there's more interesting yeah. ways to die than on this beach. Off you go. It reminds me of being like in small town Scotland and no one having any time for your nonsense. You know, like just being like, <laughs> no. Okay. Well, page two then. Anything jump out at you? Um, yes, I underlined. I find myself facing the sea, surrounded on all sides by the Kapalishka, the water horses. And that's sort of when we first realize that they're not normal horses, they're an other. Yeah, yeah, you're right. That's the first time that they're singled out. And then they're, you know, they're these colors that, yeah, you wouldn't really find normal horses in. Even though you do get horses in black or whatever, these are different. Yeah, I, I, on that same paragraph, I underlined, I wouldn't trust a handful of petals to save my life. And I just wrote, of course not, you're made of the sea. <laughs> <laughs> I underlined that too, and I wrote, that's folklore. And then I wrote, fairy led in Ireland, because there's like a little list you can do of your fairy led in Ireland, which is you turn your jacket inside out, and you whistle a tune, and you carry a nail in your pocket to touch. There's all these things you can do if you're fairy-led in Ireland. And I thought, oh, for these people in Thisbe, it's it's petals and bells and little spells you do. So the point, remind me, in the text, the idea of that is that if you put more of the land on the horse, they'll be less enchanted by the sea? I think so. So look, I'm, I'm a little bit muddled on it because I do like folklore a lot. So I've just kind of ingested a bunch over the years and so it's all swirling mm-hmm. around in the brain and, and I know that there's a lot like I know that you, you put scissors over the baby's cot so that it isn't swapped for a changeling um, mm-hmm. and you leave milk out for brownies and they'll clean your house and you observe these little rituals and they're often like payment or um, protection and I think that I'm not sure if the flowers 
and the bells. The bells, I think, do have some grounding in folklore, but I'm not sure if the flowers do. The sea kind of calls to them, right? Like they're being called back yeah. into the water and they want to take the rider with them so that they can have a wee snack on the way. Yeah, and the rider gets that magical impulse to go with them. The rider doesn't throw itself off. The rider wants to go into the sea. So I wonder if like putting the flowers and stuff on it is this idea that, you know, you are of the land now, you are not of the sea, or trying to convince the horse of that. I like that reading. I'll take it. I think that that is textually supported. We'll find out more later, I'm sure. <laughs> oh, yes. There's a lot of other magical type of indicators, like knots and um, spit is another one, and circles. Oh, yeah. Reminds me of um, Rohan and Lord of the Rings, you know, all the Celtic knots and the horse imagery. Yes, that's something I should do a rewatch of, actually. And maybe at some point in my life, read the books. Because I have never read the books. Quite a long read, but that's kind of my um, my comfort book. So if I've mm. got a long plane ride or I've gone through a particularly traumatic personal event, I'll often go back. <laughs> I don't have anything else on page two after the handful of petals. Um, on page three, I've got Myself I Am Sure Of. Yep, same. Mm -hmm. And I am honored to be greeted like an adult, like I belong oh. here. Yeah, I got like I belong here as well. Because I think he always has belonged on that beach. Yeah, and it comes back to this idea that this is this is his place. This is his destiny. This is part of him and what motivates him and part of the magic of him is this this thing, you know? I don't know. Well, you know what? Maybe Puck is Thisby and maybe he's the sea. Oh, I like that. I see it as in like they meet, they touch their... There's this area where they're both each other, but they're also their own distinct, separate beings. And the sea is, you know, unknowable and deep and unpredictable. You know, unpredictable, but also predictable in the fact that it has tides and it comes in and it's there and it's it's always there. So Yeah, always a little unsafe. Yeah. Ooh, we'll dig into that a bit more, I think. I think so. Did you underline anything else on page three? No, I just marked up the bit where he does the magic spell, but we've already talked about that. Yeah. I noted where his singers are clumsy, and I know he's afraid of the red stallion. Oh, I was just going to say, that's really interesting, because he talks about how he's ridden the horse and how we never tire, and it's like there's no fear in that. Mm. I think his connection to the this particular horse is greater than his father's connection to it and his father is more frightened of this horse than he has been of maybe other horses in the past something about it just isn't working for him but he's still going to ride the races but then of course the irony is it's not it's not that horse he's supposed to be afraid of that's not the one that leads him astray yeah um page four i underlined i hope he's remembering what i told him do not eat my father same like i think of that as the first time that you really understand that these are actually really dangerous horses like you you know that they're different you know that they're not horses from the land because they're called water horses they have a a name kapalishka and then he has to tell this horse don't eat my father mm. which is not something you have to tell a normal horse is it no and that's definitely yeah you're right that's the moment where you're like oh the stakes here are a lot higher than maybe yeah. you'd realized like, I could see being afraid of a horse because you had a fall or being afraid of a horse because they're just gigantic or, you know, because you don't ride them very often. But he's afraid that it's going to kill him. Yeah. Often people who are afraid of horses will say it's because, you know, they're unpredictable and they're, they're so big and you get on their backs, but you can't guarantee that you're going to be able to control them. And with mm. the water horses, that's just dialed up to a thousand because yeah. they're all of that and more because they have this magical compulsion and... Also, they're carnivorous. Yeah, terrifyingly so. Oh my goodness. 
Um, did you underline anything else? I have a few more things. But... Uh, uh, yeah, I underlined it's not how I would have done it. I just thought it was really interesting that obviously Sean has a lot of confidence with these horses. He's got a real natural instinct with them. But he's yeah. still only, what, 10 years old? <laughs> yeah, he's a baby. He's a baby. Like, I, I, that is astounding to me. He's already so good, like, natively with these horses that he can see where his father is doing something that he wouldn't do. Yeah, what, what else did you underline? The bit about the goodbye being unpracticed and uncomfortable. Yeah. And again, just yeah. thinking that they live in each other's pockets. They must be with each other all the time in this lonely house on the other side of the island, just being their own little unit their own little Kendrick house and not really having other people around or being part of their immediate life. And then in like a second, it's just gone forever. I marked up the next paragraph where he talks about, you know, for one moment, the waves do not attack the shore and the gulls above us do not flap. And the gritty air in my lungs doesn't escape because this is the moment that his entire world is ripped in half and time essentially freezes. You know, he's just. I wrote that it was the pause and the transition. So it's like the magic stops. Or maybe it makes time stop for him. Do you ever have really slow moments where something awful is happening and you're like, oh, I am feeling every microsecond yeah. of it? Yeah, there was this one moment when I was 18 where I almost drowned. And I just remember being in the ocean and everything was just really quiet and still. And I just had this moment where I was like, well, this is it. And it's just this complete, yeah, like time just stops. And I'm like, cool, <laughs> this is it. Obviously didn't drown. Thank you to that anonymous surfer in Sydney who fished us out of the ocean. Honestly, the people who are good at the ocean, who are in with the people who are not good at the ocean, they're saints, 100%. I know. Um, the other thing I underlined on this page was already ruined before the hooves get to him. Same. Oh, that one got me. It's just so powerful, you know? <laughs> I felt that in the legacy as well. Already ruined. Yeah. You often talk about people having like financial ruin or reputations being ruined, but not like their body is ruined. That's less common. And it's also an immediate almost dissociation from Sean. Like it's like his dad is now a thing, you know, it's already ruined. Like it's not yes. how you would talk about a living person. And maybe also that like it's not just his father is ruined, but like the life that they have and their companionship mm. and everything Sean knows is ruined. And then yeah, followed up by he has a long black and scarlet smear, half submerged in the frothy tide. Like, whew. Yeah, he says, you're right about him compartmentalizing his father, because later he says he does not eat the thing that was my father. Which is like the one blessing almost in the whole thing. Yeah, well, I think that's really powerful. He, you know, the red stallion circles halfway to a hungry creature of the sea, but he does as I asked. He does not eat the thing that was my father. That's really powerful and it speaks to Sean's ability to connect with this particular horse and maybe other horses. Like he knows he knows this horse even before he knows that he knows this horse. And then I had nothing is as red as the sea that day. Yeah, I had that as well. And I also circled reddening in the sentence below it being like his body strung out through the reddening surf again. Because it's mm. just again this, you know, this idea of the red sea and the red horse and the red armband. Yeah, but all of the, the beach being black sand and pale froth and the ocean being so dark, but red, red, red. And then I also underlined, of course, I won't make the same mistake again. Me too. It's the legacy. And I think it's also why Sean admires Puck later on, right? Because this is the thing that he aspires to, to be, a, to be not afraid. And she is just in there. For five pages, that broke my heart. It's a lot going on in that first bit. You know, it's just so much setup and 
the magic of Thisbe and these horses and I think one of the things I'm so scared about in my own life is leaving my kids behind when I know they still need me so much. You wouldn't catch me riding around on murder horses. Yeah, that's actually an interesting, because it's risk-taking behavior in a way. And if you're someone's sole sole support, it's not very responsible. It's quite Dumbledore-esque, really. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I, I do think there's, like, maybe it's just that this is part of being on the island, is that there's just more loss. There's also money involved, though, right? So maybe his dad has to do it. That's how they survive. Yeah, could do. I, like, I don't think his dad is writing for anyone else. He's only writing for himself. There's no discussion of fifths here. Like, his dad seems to be, like, kind of reputationally almost as good as Sean is later when we find him having won mm-hmm. for several years in a row, but somehow having escaped the notice of Puck Connolly all that time. All right, so there's really only a couple of characters. Is there anyone you want to spotlight? I think for me, definitely Sean. You know, I think of him mm-hmm. as being a 10-year-old and feeling this immense responsibility to like that compels him to do this little spell on this horse and to protect his father and then having absolutely no power over the fact that his father ends up dying because of all of this. And it's obviously such an important thing to both his father and him to partake in these races and these horses are such a part of his identity later Mm. you know it's just such a formative moment and I just think of he's just 10 and it's he's all alone and he's so little yeah it's a lot for a 10 year old to to carry he's yeah he really is I how about you I I think I'm glad you've lost Sean um but I also want to give a little sideways spotlight to the other adult on the beach who said oh Sean Kendrick and treated him like he was an equal like he belonged there I think that's really important kids sometimes need to be treated like a grown-up there was a we went to visit with my my son's friend from school and uh, the friend his dad came in and was talking to my daughter and I said oh did you enjoy talking to you know this little guy this little kid's dad he asked me all these questions I felt just like such a grown-up I just loved it mom and I thought all, all we did was really ask her about school and what she did and did she play any instruments but like she felt like she'd been Aww. treated like an absolute adult and it really made her day and I was thinking about that when I was reading that part of the text where Sean was like I am honored to be treated like an adult like kids really do love that in a way like oh yes I do belong here I am a grown-up yeah you know that must have been so powerful for Sean after the the previous incident where this guy was like no you know don't come on this beach you're only 10 years old and he says to his father you know there's this bit where he's like if your son is killed the only fault is yours and it's a lot in retrospect and you think that his dad's the one who ends up dying yeah and he's witness to it which is awful. Yeah. I mean, everybody watches people die on Scorpio races, but it's it's awful when it's someone you love. Mm. So yeah. Is there anything in particular you learnt from this chapter? I feel like every time I read this, I get something else out of it. And I'm probably going to say that every single time we get together. And I think I spent a lot more time thinking about colours because you, you found them and you underlined them. And now I'm going to start looking for them. I'm going to be doing colour tracking. What about you? I think what jumped out of me was this the sense that some things are just beyond your control and you can prepare all you want and you can do all the right things. But when it comes down to the moment, sometimes all you can do is just watch and you can watch it play out and that's all you have. And yeah, you just have to sit with that moment and I guess just take whatever comfort and whatever lessons you can from that and yeah. hope you learn from it as hard as that can be. So you know, Sean has to watch his dad die in this horrible way, but it is the making of him in that moment too. Yeah, we, so. he he refuses to let someone else he cares for that much die, which we see later. 
it's a direct response to not being on the beach with his father or maybe not riding in that particular race, the prologue race. Yeah, lots to think of, certainly. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Well, this was a really good start I think very meaty we got a lot out of it definitely (laughs) five pages oh my gosh and so yeah what are we looking at next it's chapters one to ten yep and reading them through the themes of home and family very excited because home is one of those themes that I'm just always obsessed with as like an immigrant three times removed I'm always like what is home and yeah what is family (laughs) I know I'm excited and we get to meet Puck and Finn and Puff and the cat and Gabe, Gabe. <laughs> but we'll we'll talk about that next time. <laughs> All right, well, let's sign off on the pod and then chat next. How week. are we going to sign off on the pod? I guess I don't know. I guess we'll say see you next week. Cool. Okay. Thanks for joining us today. Marginalia Pod is written, edited, and produced by us, Gen D and Gen V, with additional editing and production support by Simon B. If you enjoyed it, we'd love if you'd subscribe, rate, and review it on iTunes. Your support means the world to us. We'd also love to hear from you. You can email us at hello at marginaliapod.com. Our music is by Scott Buckley. Many of the things we've mentioned are in the show notes, or you can find out more about us and the podcast at marginaliapod.com.